sermon podcast of Paoli Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Jonathan Mexel. Well, it is wonderful to share together. And um, I want to encourage you to continue those conversations at the end of the service, make your way to the gathering space and, and spending some time together. It's always great and always tough for me to, to break that up, but it is good to be together today. How often do you feel tired? <laughs> you laugh because it's almost a joke, right? Uh, what do you do when you feel just completely worn out? What do you do when... <laughs> What do you do? How, how do you find refreshment? How do you find renewal? You know, sometimes that feeling of being tired can be a positive thing. You know, if you have a, a long day of, of working hard and whatever that might look like for you, and you get to the end of the day and you're tired and you know, well, you've just given everything you had that day and, and you can see, particularly if you can see some sort of productive um, outcome to that day, it's a, that can be a good feeling, right? It can be a great thing to feel tired at the end of a, a long, productive day. But when that feeling of tiredness or when that, when that experience of tiredness goes on for extended periods of time, we all have to do something about it, right? We need ways in our lives to be refreshed. We need ways in our lives to be rejuvenated. And from the dawn of creation, God recognized this need and established it as part of our weekly routine. God sent, uh, set out and worked in creation for six days. And on the seventh day, the book of Genesis says that God rested. And in doing so, God set a pattern for us, a way of recognizing that we have periods of our lives where we work, where we go hard, where we do um, all kinds of productive things. And then we have other times of our lives where we take a step back, where we're able to be refreshed, where we're able to be rejuvenated. That doesn't just happen on a weekly basis, it happens on a daily basis, right? We have periods of our day when we're awake and alert and moving around and doing other things, and then we have periods of our day when we're asleep. And again, you can cheat that for a little while, a very little while, but after a little while, you know, it catches up to you physically and in all sorts of other ways. We have to take care of ourselves. And we also have these periods of time where we have holidays and vacations and other kinds of days set out. And again, this goes back in the Old Testament. You see the same kind of thing. You see these periods of time where there is a special time set aside for rest, for rejuvenation, for kind of catching your breath and and drawing closer to God in so many ways. And those kinds of, of rest is not merely physical rest, as important as that is. As our world gets more and more complicated, we need mental rest. We need emotional rest. We need relational rest and, and opportunities to, to heal and to be rejuvenated in all of these different kinds of ways. We need those times in our lives when we take a step back, when we allow ourselves to be restored. And unfortunately, in our busy world, it's often difficult to maintain some of those healthy patterns. I know it's a problem with which I struggle, and I'm sure I'm not alone in finding those times on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a, a more periodic basis to, to step aside and to be rejuvenated and to be refreshed. And so over the coming months, we're not going to do it constantly, but over the coming months, we're going to have um, some sporadic times where we're going to be thinking about this invitation of God to find recuperation, to find refreshment. Uh, sometimes, particularly in our culture, that can seem like a, a should or a have to. But it's actually an invitation. It's an invitation by God to find that rest, to find that 
ability to, to be refreshed and rejuvenated in what we do. And we're going to begin this, uh, this series of, of sermons like that by looking at an invitation to rest found in the Old Testament. It's around a prophet named Elijah. Elijah experienced an incredible victory by God. But in the aftermath of that incredible victory, he also needed to experience God's grace and God's provision to find rest and to find restoration. Part of Elijah's need was for physical rest and nourishment. We'll think about that in a few moments. But an even greater component of what he needed was God's spiritual and mental refreshment, which again, he was invited to experience with God. Now, to understand exactly what it was that Elijah was facing, we have to take a little bit of a step back and to recognize that Elijah was God's representative during the reign of one of the most wicked kings in all of Israel. Ahab was so bad that 1 Kings 16.33 says, Ahab did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than had all the kings of Israel who were before him. And if you know anything about the history of the kings of Israel, you know that is a significant, significant statement. To say that all the things that they had done that, that angered, caused God to be angry, Ahab was worse than all of that put together. He was a really, really evil, really, really bad king. And in the face of this evil, God brought a drought in the land of Israel and sent Elijah as the prophet to King Ahab to announce that neither dew nor rain would come upon Israel unless Elijah spoke the word to the king. I'm sure none of us would be raising our hands wanting to volunteer to be Elijah's uh, helper in the midst of that. It was not an easy, easy task. But as you can imagine, it didn't please Ahab. And Elijah was forced to flee for his life. Well, finally, in the third year of the drought, the Lord sent Elijah back to King Ahab with a challenge. Once and for all, all the people needed to decide if they would follow the one true God or they would follow the idol Baal supported by King Ahab. The people were being pulled in two directions for long enough. It was time to announce their loyalties. It was time to find and to follow the truth of God. And so Elijah called for a sort of spiritual duel in which the 450 prophets of Baal and Elijah would go head-to-head -head on Mount Carmel. The terms were simple. Two bulls were brought, one given to each side. The bulls were slaughtered and placed on an altar, but there was to be no fire that would be given. Instead, each side was to pray, and the God who responded with fire would be recognized as the living God of Israel. Now, being the magnanimous person that he was, Elijah allowed the prophets of Baal to go first. And from morning until noon, the prophets cried out, to, to Baal, asking Baal to bring down fire and to, to win this duel. But from morning till noon, nothing happened. At noon, Elijah began to have a little bit of fun. He began to mock them. Cry aloud, surely he is a god. Either he is meditating or he's wandered away or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and he must be awakened. Hurry up and cry out to your god. And this only spurred the prophets of Baal to greater cries and acts trying to get Baal's attention. Hour after hour passed, and no fire continued to come. Finally, at early evening, Elijah had had enough. It was time for the living and true God to shine, and so to make sure that there was no mistaking what was going to occur, Elijah doubled down on this challenge. After arranging the altar just as it needed to be and placing the pieces of the bull on it, Elijah had three separate sets of water jars poured on the altar and on the, all the items on top. And if there's one thing you want to do to ensure 
that, that there can be no fire that can come and can light these um, items up. It was to douse them in water. If the fire did come, there could be no mistaking that it was God who was at source, and it was God who was at work. Well, finally, at the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah prayed a rather simple prayer. He prayed this, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your bidding. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you. Immediately at the end of Elijah's prayer, the fire of God came down, consuming the bull, consuming the wood, consuming the stones, consuming the dust, consuming everything that was there. There was no mistaking that God was the one true God. God was the one who was worthy of worship of the Israelites. It was an incredible display of God's power and God's authority. And the people of Israel in mass turned to God, recognizing that he alone was the one true God. They seized the prophets of Baal and wiped those who had led improper worship and, and, and killed them. And as if it wasn't enough, God then brought rain once more to the land of Israel, showing his great supremacy. Elijah was riding high. This was the, one of the greatest victories that we read about in all of Scripture. And we would anticipate that coming off of that great high, that Elijah would just go from one thing to the next, doing great acts on behalf of God. But you know, you've probably had this experience in your own life. You've had those days where things went really well, or those seasons when things went really well. And usually, in, in almost every case, you can't live like that 365 days a year for extended periods of time. Oftentimes when you have this significant high, you have something that happens in your life that's just um, something that, that's really exciting and, and, and really a clear blessing of God. Usually, whether it's in small ways or bigger ways, there's, there's a way in which we, we kind of come down from that. And in Elijah's perspective, in Elijah's situation, his, the morning after, he came down pretty sharply because... Instead of hearing and continuing to experience this exhilaration of God's power, Elijah received a message from King Ahab's wife Jezebel threatening to kill him. Now remember, Elijah had just seen God intervene in one of the most incredible ways possible. Surely he was encouraged and ready to go forward. But instead, instead, fear overwhelmed Elijah, and he ran for his life. It was so bad that he asked the Lord to kill him. But God wasn't finished with Elijah. Instead of abandoning him in fear, God began to open before Elijah something new. God first provided rest and re a reset for Elijah. And then he directed Elijah on a 40-day journey to Mount Horeb, the Mount of God. And it's there that we turn our attention this morning in 1 Kings chapter 19, because there we read about how God ministered to Elijah, how God encouraged Elijah, reminded Elijah of God's presence and God's provision in his life. And so I'm going to read this morning in 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning with verse 9. We read this. At that place, Elijah came to a cave and spent the night there. And then the word of the Lord came to him saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. And God said to him, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. 
Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks and pieces before the Lord. The Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle. He went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah once again answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they're seeking my life to take it away. And then the Lord said to Elijah, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you will arrive, you shall anoint Haziel as king over Aram. Also you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes from the sword of Haziel, Jehu shall kill. And whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall kill. And I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed, bowed down to Baal, and every mouth has not kissed him. Elijah had experienced some of the highest of highs. God had used him to demonstrate God's incredible power and God's supremacy. But Elijah also experienced some incredibly difficult days, filled with great pain and emotional turmoil. We can easily see a depression and a fear that became completely debilitating to him. How could Elijah go on? What were some lessons that we learn from Elijah's experience here? Well, I want to ex- ex- express to you this morning there are at least two significant ways that God brought help and God brought healing into Elijah's life during this time where he needed refreshment. He needed restoration. He needed to be able to be restored. He was tired. He was worn out. And he needed to recognize God's intervention in his life. Even though Elijah felt abandoned and depressed, our look back in the scripture demonstrates the beautiful ways in which God was with him, in which God reached out to Elijah and ministered to him. Just prior to this journey to Mount Horeb that we read here when the difficulty was settling in, we read that on two different occasions, an angel of the Lord brought Elijah a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. Elijah was clearly physically exhausted. He was in need of nourishment. He had gone through this incredible high of God, and in the process, he was worn out. He needed to be taken care of physically. And God was looking out for his needs. God provided for him food and water at a place and a time that it wasn't necessarily available. And God did it in a way that shows God's care and God's concern for Elijah. Elijah was clearly physically exhausted. And before doing anything about the spiritual components of Elijah's situation, we see a loving picture of God who is reaching out to Elijah to bring comfort, to bring relief to him. Our God is one who is concerned about the physical circumstances of our lives. And when you and I have faced the highs and the lows of life, how often has the situation been worse because of our physical situation? When you've been pushing yourself and not getting enough food or not getting enough sleep, 
Sometimes the best thing that we can do is to get some sleep, to eat some food. It can seem like something that's so simple that it doesn't even deserve to be mentioned, but our physical bodies wear out. Stress and strain can take a toll. We need to make sure we're listening to God's guidance to make sure our physical bodies are, are taken care of. And sometimes we can hear this, this call to, to rest, this call to take a step back. We can see it as a should or something that we have to do. But I want you to hear in this passage this morning, this is an invitation by God. It's not something we're required to do. It's something we get to do. It's an invitation to God to find rest and restoration. You know, sometimes when we think about the, the, the call that God gives to us to, to remember the Sabbath day, to take one of our seven days and to rest and to do something different, again, sometimes that can feel like, like something that God's forcing us to do. But it's actually an invitation. It's an invitation to set aside all the other things that are pressing in upon us and to recognize that God, the same God who was powerful enough to, to consume the, the sacrifice there on Mount Carmel, is the same God that can take care of the circumstances and the needs of our lives. And we're invited to rest in that, to recognize that God is at work, and that God invites us to receive the replenishment and the rest that we all need, that we're all invited to receive. God recognized in Elijah's situation, at first, a need for physical replenishment, and he invited Elijah to receive that. But God wasn't finished giving restoration and replenishment to Elijah. Elijah was also ready to move on, having received some, some food and some rest, to move forward with what God was going to do with him next. God was now ready to give Elijah a fresh understanding of God's work. And this would happen on Mount Horeb. Now, in most of our reading, that name may not mean a whole lot to us. But it is believed that Mount Horeb is the same location as another mountain, Mount Sinai, where Moses heard from God in the burning bush, a bush that didn't burn up, and later went back to receive the Ten Commandments. By taking Elijah to this location, God was reminding Elijah that he was not the first, nor would Elijah be the last of the prophets. Others had come before him and had faced opposition and obstacles, and others would come after him. Elijah needed to be encouraged that he was extending a long line of individuals who were working on behalf of God. There was a greater remnant at work than what Elijah thought. Later, Elijah would be reminded that he was not alone on his day either. At the end of Elijah's calling, God says that there would leave 7,000 in Israel who had not bowed, bowed down to Baal. Elijah was not nearly as alone as he thought he was. He was coming here saying, I am alone. I'm the only one. I'm the last one. And God needed to remind him that he wasn't alone. God was with him and that there was a remnant among Israel who was with him as well. And when we encounter the highs and lows of our lives, it's sometimes easy for us to think that we're the first to face those difficulties or that we're standing alone in the midst of them. But God reminds us this day that we don't stand alone. That others have gone before us and others remain with us in the midst of those challenging days. It's one of the most beautiful aspects of the church. We have this tangible reminder that we are not alone. We may go through the week going about our work and going about our various tasks, but we gather together as the body of Christ to be reminded that we aren't alone. That there are brothers and sisters in Christ who are going through circumstances and situations that in some cases are similar and in some cases are different. But we stand together 
as the body of Christ? Are we recognizing and receiving the strength and the help of our brothers and sisters in Christ? Are we recognizing and extending that ministry and that care to others in our spheres of influence? That's the invitation here that Elijah was reminded that he was not alone. But Elijah also needed to be encouraged by the fact that God was still working in God's ways. Elijah only recently had seen fire come down from heaven, and with one mighty act, God had demonstrated his supremacy to all of Israel. Yet in spite of that amazing action, Elijah still faced opposition. Not everyone bowed down to the Lord. In fact, the queen herself wanted to kill Elijah in the morning after. And Elijah was ready to give up. But God had another message for Elijah. God was going to minister to Elijah with his presence in one of the most intimate pictures in all of Scripture. How would God come to Elijah? Would it be in a great wind? Would it be in a momentous earthquake? Would it be in a great fire like he had done just a few short days earlier? Well, God can certainly move in all these mighty ways. Elijah had seen God's power in some amazing situations. But after the fire in this passage, we read of a sheer silence. And in that silence, Elijah knew the Lord's presence. He heard the voice of God. In essence, God ministered to Elijah between the other things. Silence is actually not something. It's the absence of all other things, right? It's the absence of sound. It's the absence of action. It's the absence of God proactively working. It was in that silence. It was in the break between all these other things that God ministered to Elijah and refreshed him. When we face the challenges of life, we can sometimes think that our only hope and encouragement is in some dramatic resolution of the situation. We might want God to only work in the dramatic events of our lives and of our world. But God will work on God's timetable and in God's ways. And the good news is that we don't have to worry about the result. Sometimes God works in the amazing and the mighty ways. Sometimes God works in the silence. We can't control those situations or the process. We can't get ourselves out of those predicaments. But God invites us to receive that help, to receive that refreshment, that replenishment. Elijah seemed to think that the situation was all up to him. He kept repeating that he alone was standing for God and that he alone was, was, was going to be the source of the end of God's remnant. But God reminded Elijah that he wasn't alone. And God reminds us the same today. We aren't called to take the problems of the world on our shoulders. We can't, first of all. But even more, God invites us to place those things in God's hands. In the midst of doing so, to receive that refreshment, to receive that replenishment, to receive that rejuvenation that only God can give. I don't know where you are on that need for replenishment today. Maybe you're just coming off a time where you're really feeling energetic and you're ready to go. Or maybe you need to find rest, to find food, to find that spiritual encouragement from God in whatever way it is. This isn't a have to. It's not a should do. 
It's an invitation. An invitation by a God who loves you and who invites you to find that peace and that rest in the midst of a world that pulls us in all sorts of different directions, in ways that would seek to fill our minds and our activities with all sorts of other things. God invites us to rest, to be restored, to be renewed in our relationship with him. Let us pray. Lord God, on this day, we are grateful that you are at work. We are grateful for the reminder today of your greatness, of your might, and of your power. Lord God, we are also terribly reminded of the busyness, of the accumulation of pressure and things happening around us that would keep us from finding that rest and that peace in you. May you help us to recognize this day, your invitation to rest, your invitation to be quiet in you, to recognize that the world is in your hands, that we're invited to come alongside, to be restored and refreshed by you. Oh God, we recognize that in many lives of individuals who are in the sound of my voice today, there are circumstances, there are situations that are causing only increased trauma and turmoil. Lord God, we have several people in our congregation who are preparing for surgery this week, and they're no doubt feeling the anxiety that comes with that. I pray that you would surround them with your grace of your rest today. May you encourage them. May you be with those doctors and surgeons. May you bring healing to their bodies and rest to their souls. Lord God, for those who are feeling the trauma and turmoil of broken relationships, of challenging economic and job situations, of circumstances that seem to be spinning so far out of their control, may your rest overwhelm us. May that sound of silence fill our lives and remind us of your presence, your peace, your goodness to us. Thank you, Lord God, for this reminder today. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for the reminder that we are your body, coming together to pray as Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.